Yeah, I, it really. I mean, and the, you know what? One of the, the best things that ever happened to me in my Christian life is to come to the place to where I understood that when God's talking about the layout of Seans, that he's not talking about the liberals down the street. He means me. And you see, when I, can, when I can admit that that's me, and I see that this is my condition, then, then I'm a little more apt to get out of that condition. But I'll just tell you, it's tough to get the layout of sea and barnacles off, isn't it? And that's really what, we, what we've been talking about. The, the real point from Revelation chapter 14, where we're kind of stuck on, is that this incredible group of people, man, check this out. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth doesn't matter that's all they're about is just following the lamb and what we've seen is the lord's invitation to us was follow me just follow me all right you've been going your own way you've been going your doing your own thing through the course of this world and you've been just living it up now now instead of following that follow me and so we've been just going through and just seeing what does that really mean to follow him? And we saw that the prerequisite toward following him is first and foremost that we come to the place that we, what? Deny ourselves. Which is real tough for a Laodicean because the Bible says that the thing that is so characteristic about us is that we have this incredible love for ourselves and so we kind of we kind of meet ourselves on this thing we we want to follow jesus but the first prerequisite is deny yourself when at the very time that we're hearing that invitation we love ourselves and so what we've begun to see is that there's a lot of people that think they're followers of jesus christ when they really aren't and then there's a lot of us that really are who don't really look a whole lot like what God intends for followers to look like and it's opened up to us this whole thing that we're that we're really a whole lot like that group of people called the Pharisees because what Laodiceans do is we work on making the outside of the cup look all shiny and clean and we work on this, this sepulcher that's called our body, and we work on whitewashing that thing so everybody looks at us and thinks that, ooh, they're really holy. When Jesus says, you're hypocrites, and you emphasize the outside of the cup, and you've emphasized whitewashing this sepulcher, but you're full of dead men's bones, and inside that cup, it's a dirty, stinking mess. And what we've been seeing is that though most of us have cleaned up the outside we're still dealing with a whole lot of desires that make us look a whole lot like we did before we ever came to Christ we've been just trying to say isn't the power of God that he says in Ezekiel 36 26 the power of God that gives you a new heart and a new spirit that takes out that stony heart and puts in a new one and cleanses us from all uncleannesses, Ezekiel said. Isn't, I mean, didn't God have in mind the inside of the cup? Didn't he have in mind the inside of us? And, and so we, we, we've been hammering that for some time. 
and we didn't get as far as uh, I was hoping to get as I was putting the study sheet together, obviously, and so uh, we're going to finish this tonight, and we're going to try to do it in a, a brief fashion, which you know is a very difficult thing for me to do, but uh, what we want to do tonight is we want to just go to the Word of God and just look at an example of a guy that was made out of the same stuff that you and I are made of. But God had been able to do something to change the desires that this guy had. Now listen, tonight's message, it's kind of like one of those A, B, C messages that is so simple that you might miss it. But you remember what we saw this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 11? What Paul feared is that there were going to be people who were going to move us away from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, guys, I just want to tell you, we make this thing harder than it is. And I throw myself in as the chief in this trespass. God's not made this thing as difficult as we have made it. He, he I, the thing I love about God is he, he puts it waist high right across the plate all the time. It's just that we work real hard at making it difficult when he's worked so hard to make it so simple. So now listen, in the midst of this ABC lesson, don't move away from the simplicity that's in Christ. Let him make it as simple as he makes it. And we're just going to look at this simple example from this, this one man that wrote Psalm 23. And, of course, that man is who? David. And David, himself being a shepherd, looked out on his sheep one day. And understanding his role as a shepherd, he made this incredible statement. Here it is, ABC. He looks out and says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now listen, I'm not a shepherd, and so you know what? That really doesn't have the significance to me that it would have to a guy like David who was a shepherd. And I, you know, my, my daughter is getting to the age now to where, you know, I don't want to embarrass her, but, you know, when she was, uh, when she was a little girl, one of the, the, the fondest memories I have, I mean, it just, I hate to see him grow up, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm looking her eyeball to eyeball now, but... When, when she was just a little girl, what I used to love to do is just let her come run to me and pick her up my arms. And she, you know, you know how they do, they throw those legs around you and you just grab a hold of them and squeeze them. Now, I'd still do it today. She, she thinks, oh, I'm too big and all that deal. But I, I'd still do it. To, you know what? Come, come running tonight, baby. We, we'll, we'll do it. But, you know, when, when she would come and, and she would run into my arms like that and I'm holding her and squeezing her like that, some of you remember, I, I, it was just, to me, it was one of those real cool moments that you'll never forget in all your life. I've got her up in my arms like that and we're cheek to cheek, you know, and she pulls her head away and she says, why are you gritting your teeth? And I didn't even know how I was doing it. But, you know, you got them in your arms at that and you just, you, know, you want to squeeze them so hard. That, I mean, you know, I, I'd kill her if I was squeezing her the way that I wanted to, you know. And, uh, 
at that moment for me to say, you know, the Lord is my Father. Do you understand the significance of that to me? Oh, I, you know, I'm, and the Lord's done that so many times. Oh, wow, this is, you mean you got this in your heart for me? And you see, that's what David's talking about here. He's a shepherd, and he's looking out at these sheep, and it just comes crashing in on him. You know what? The Lord is my shepherd. That's what verse 1 has got packed into it when he says, The Lord is, is my shepherd. Check it out. What he's saying is, is you know, I, I provide for the needs of these sheep, and, and he provides for my needs. And I find green pastures for these sheep to lie down in. And check it out. He finds green pastures for me to lie down in. And because I know when the sheep need water, and because I know that sheep are fearful of swiftly moving water, I find still waters to quench their thirst without having to fear. And the Lord knows what causes me to be afraid. And so what He does is He leads me beside still waters. And the Lord takes care of me the same way that I take care of these sheep. And, and just as I know the path the sheep need to take to get where they need to go, and I lead them in it, not, not drive them, but I, but I lead them, David says, that's the way, that's the way the Lord leads me. Man, I don't know where to go, and, and I don't know how to glorify Him in the way, and so that the Lord leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake, for His glory's sake. And, and we could go on. That's not really the point that I'm wanting you to see. But for you to get the point, you better catch the heart that David's got behind this. It, 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 what, what he, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, oh, y'all, it's just packed full of significance. And the thing that is so cool about this is that the way that you read it, I mean, how, how you read it and, and what word you emphasize as you read it, makes this verse just come to life. For example, if you read it with the word Lord underlined or in italics, it means one thing. Check it out. The, the Lord is my shepherd. And David's saying, I, I, I'm a shepherd, but, but I'm just a, a human and I've got needs of my own. I'm not omniscient. I don't always know the needs that these sheep have. And I can't know what's behind every bush. And I can't know what's on the other side of every hill. And sometimes even when I do know, and I understand the danger that these sheep are in, sometimes I don't have the ability or the power that to do what needs to be done because I'm not omnipotent and I, I've got limits on what I'm able to do. I, I can't, I, I can only tend to one specific need that one specific sheep has at any one time. I, I can't be mending a broken leg over here and at the same time pouring oil on the wound of a head of one over here because I'm not omnipresent. But David says, the Lord, the omnipotent omniscient, omnipresent God 
is my shepherd. And then it carries a different significance if you read it underlining or emphasizing the word shepherd. He says, the, the Lord is my shepherd. And the Bible tells you what kind of shepherd he is in, in John chapter 10, verse 11. Listen to it. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And you know what makes him so good, y'all? The verse tells you, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. I'd say that's good, wouldn't you? And the same passage goes on to explain that he's the good shepherd because, because he knows his sheep and, and he allows them to know him. And he walks with them. And he talks with them and, and they know his voice. That's a good shepherd. But he's not just the good shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 says that he's the great shepherd. He's the great shepherd who can take his sheep, Hebrews 13, 20 says, and by his blood he makes us perfect in every good work to do his will and works in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. And listen, if you understand what your condition was when you were without a shepherd, you know why what he says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 makes him so great. So he's not just a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And he's not just a good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. But he's not just the great shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 4, it says that he's the chief shepherd. The word chief is, is the word arch or, or ark, as in archangel. And that's, that word ark is translated other places in the New Testament. First, beginning, prince, captain, author, high, ruler, master, governor. I, I mean, listen, as far as shepherds go, he's it. He's the tops. He's the bomb. He's the max. That's a new word that the young folks use that they don't think old people know. You know what I'm saying? It, something happens to you when you get old. You can't hear new, new things. You, you, you hear those things, you go, what, what do they mean by that? But all of that to say the chief shepherd, I mean, there's no shepherd like our shepherd because he's God and listen only God could do what needed to be done for us check it out he became our shepherd and he is our good great chief shepherd and then understanding what it means for the omniscient omnipotent omnipresent God of the universe to take the role of a shepherd it, it means so much more when you read it emphasizing the word my you see David didn't just say that the Lord is a shepherd he didn't say just say the Lord is the shepherd he didn't even say the Lord is our shepherd check it out it says the Lord is my shepherd he is our personal shepherd. 
there's a, a personal relationship. He, he knows me. He provides for me. He leads me. He restores me. He's with me. He comforts me. He prepares a table for me. He anoints me. He loves me. What an incredible God, man. The Lord is my shepherd. And, and, and look at the word is. Y'all know what I'm talking about now on ABC? I mean, this is, this is simple stuff. But man, what an incredible verse. Look at this word is. It's not, you know, the Lord was my shepherd. It's not, the Lord will be my shepherd. It's not, the Lord might be. It's not, the Lord could be. It's, the Lord wants to be. It's real simple, but the Lord is my shepherd. Present tense, continuous action. He is my shepherd, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. Just an incredible verse. But even then, that's still not really the point that I'm wanting you to see. The point I'm wanting you to see is that if the Lord is likened to a shepherd, and he is our shepherd, that means that we're likened to what? To sheep. And, and so you know what I did? What I did is just... Let the Bible be the Bible. And I just looked up every time that I could find sheep in the Bible and just started finding out what the Bible says are the characteristics of sheep. I, I, I didn't go, you know, look it up in the encyclopedia. This is God's book. And so let's just see what God has to say is characteristic of, of sheep. And I'll tell you what, it reveals some, some cool stuff. First of all, you find that the Bible teaches that sheep are prone to go astray. Seven times the Bible talks about sheep going astray. It even says specifically in Isaiah 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. It was all of us. Secondly, you find that sheep are prone to be scattered. Twelve times the Bible makes reference to sheep being scattered. Sheep are designed to be in a fold. They're helpless animals who need other sheep and, and need a shepherd. Matthew 9 and verse 36 says that when Jesus saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep. So first of all, they're prone to go astray. Secondly, they're prone to be scattered. And then next, sheep are prone to be lost. Seven times, God makes reference to lost sheep. And the psalmist cried out in Psalm 119 and verse 176, I have gone astray like a sheep. Seek thy servant, Jesus said in Luke 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was, what? Was lost. And so I, I think the, the message is obvious. The Lord likens us to sheep to show us our condition, to show us that we've all chosen our own way, that we've all gone astray. Sin and, and self have scattered us away from the fold. And now, now we're, we're out there and we're cold and we're hungry and thirsty and tired and lost and we have no idea of what to do about it. We don't know where to turn. We don't know where to go because we're dumb sheep. We're lost. 
astray and scattered. But not only does the Lord liken us to sheep to show us our condition, he likens us to sheep to show us just how desperately we need a shepherd. And five times in the Bible, God uses the illustration of sheep that have no shepherd. And, and he uses it to reveal just how pitiful our condition is without him. Now, now listen, m most of us that are in this, this room this evening, I mean, hey, this is Sunday night and summertime and all of that. Most of the folks that are in this room have come to the place where you've confessed the fact that you had gone your own way, and that you were a sinner, that you had gone astray, and that you had been scattered because of your sin, that you were, were lost. And you came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you made that confession. And at that moment in time, excuse me, it woke some of you up there. At that moment in time, the Lord Jesus Christ became your shepherd. And you were gloriously saved. But you know what happens to us? And, and you know why a lot of us struggle the way, the reason, or the way that we do in our Christian life? And we, we, we talked about this the week before we went to, to Russia. But the reason that some of us are, are struggling so bad in this Christian life thing and living out what God tells us to live out is that we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. We, we forget what it was like to be a lost sheep that was scattered out there without a shepherd and we're just, ah, yeah, we're just out there clueless. Nowhere to turn, nowhere to go. We're just out, out there. And, and so what, what we did is we went through the Word of God and, and we, we let God show us what was true of every single one of us. And, and we let Him show us our condition, the condition of our soul when we were lost and were without a shepherd. And, and do you remember what we saw? Do you guys remember even doing this? Remember, we just went through all the places in the Bible where God talked about our condition. Let me just remind you. We were disqualified for heaven. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were Christless, godless, helpless. We were separated from God. We were unable to meet the qualifications of God's standard. We were unclean. We were unprofitable. We were unrighteous. We were helpless. Satan had blinded our minds. He had darkened our understanding, and we were being held in his power. We were born into his family, and he was our father, and we were his children, and we did the things that he wanted us to do. We were his slaves. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to our own lust and slaves to this world, the Bible says. The Bible says that we were captives, that we were bound, that we were imprisoned, that we were blinded, and we were under the wrath and condemnation of Almighty God. And seeing our condition, do you remember the question that we asked? Sitting there in that helpless condition, what do you want at that point? I mean, when you really understand the condition that all of us were in when we were sheep scattered abroad without a shepherd, and you really understand all that we just talked about there, what is it that you want? You remember we went through all kinds of stuff. What is it that you want at that point? You want prestige? You want fame? You want position? You want recognition? You want esteem? You want popularity? You want money? You want clothes? You want cars? You want houses? 
You know what? When you understand the condition that all of us were in before we had a, a shepherd, the only thing you want is to be free. And that's what the Lord did for us. He did for us what we could never have done for ourselves and what nobody else could ever do for us. He found us in our lost, scattered, helpless condition, and He became our shepherd. He qualified us for heaven when every good thing that we were trying to do to earn our way to Him just caused it to be more of a stench in His nostrils. And He delivered us out of the clutches of Satan's power. And then He translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. And He redeemed our enslaved spirit by shedding His own precious blood. And then He forgave us of all of our sin. And He canceled our debt. And He released us from the wrath and the condemnation that was upon us. Now let me tell you something, folks. When you really understand all of that, that'll have an impact on you. Our problem is we forget that. Now, this is ABCs, but don't miss it. I want to show you the impact that having a shepherd had on David. It's incredible. David said, and, and look in verse 1, and remember the significance of every word here. The Lord is my shepherd. And now watch the result. I shall not want. I mean, hey, after all he's done for us, in light of who I was and in light of who he is, now that he is my shepherd, what could I possibly want? And, and, and what's so sad about Laodiceans is most of us claim that the Lord is our shepherd and we still want. We want all that stuff that in our helpless condition we said didn't matter. We still want prestige. We still want fame. We still want power. We still want position. We still want recognition. We still want esteem. We still want money. We still want cars. We still want clothes. We still want houses. And here's the real kicker. We still want to sin. I mean, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, amen or, or oh me, whatever. It, it really, I mean, when you really just stop to think about it, it's just mind-boggling, isn't it? Sin, we want it. I mean, even though 
It separated us from God. Even though it held us as its slave and it almost sent us to hell. Most Christians still want to do it. And their whole Christian existence is, Oh God, help me not to do this. Oh God, help me not to commit fornication. Oh God, help me not to get drunk. Oh God, help me not to, you know, fill in whatever your deal is. And you know what our problem is? We're saying, oh God, help me not to do all... And I mentioned this this morning. Oh God, help me not to do all this stuff that I really want to do. And, and so you, you, you know what they do their whole Christian life? Is focus on trying to, to discipline their flesh. Like we've been talking about. Suppress the flesh. Trying to keep it from doing what it really wants to do. And you see, because Christians know that this stuff is wrong, you know what they'll do? They'll put themselves under, um, you wouldn't believe the, the kind of restraints that Christians will put themselves unto. And they'll put themselves in all kind of little legalistic boxes so they don't do all this terrible stuff that they really want to do. And the truth is, folks, they'll do anything to keep their bodies from fleshing out those desires except for the one thing that God tells us to do and that's to get them to not want to do it. Or in the words of Romans chapter 8 and verse 13, mortify the deeds or the desires of the body. Or in the words of Colossians 3 and verse 5, mortify your members which are upon the earth and, and he lists them for you. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says, mortify those desires of your body. Kill them. Put them to death. Deaden them. You, you go to the dentist and, and you're going to have a root canal and, and, and you're just praying that this dude is going to give you something that's going to deaden that, right? Man, I, you know what? When I go to the dentist, I want everything I can get, man. I, I don't, I'm not into this whole pain deal. I, I, want, I want it to be dead, man. I want my face to be drawn for, you know, five hours afterwards. I don't care. I just want to make sure that when he's doing his thing in there, that it's deadened. And that's what God tells us to do, y'all. Deaden. Mortify. Put this stuff to death. You say, well, how do you do that? How, how, do, you, how do you deaden it? How, how do you mortify it? Romans chapter 8 and verse 13 says that you do it through the Spirit of God. You can't do it yourself. The Spirit of God's got to do it. And Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and 16 tell you that you do it through the Word of God. You say, well, which is it? Is it the Spirit of God or is it the Word of God? Yes. It, it, it's both. The Spirit of God fills you, and He does so by taking the Word of God and causing it to dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And so rather than your body being controlled by its own passions and its own lust and its own desires, it's controlled by the Word of God as the Spirit of God takes it and causes you to react in 
its power and as it prompts you and as it guides you. And folks, we can keep beating this thing and we can make it just as hard as you want to make it. It ain't really that difficult. It's a matter of surrender. It's a matter of coming before the Spirit of God and taking in massive doses of the Word of God so that our mind is renewed. I want to say it again. Your salvation didn't just provide you a massive dose of self-discipline so that you can suppress all of the desires of your flesh the rest of your life. What God gave you is the power to be able to see the desires that you used to have before you got saved deadened. And fellas... It's about time that we took God at his word on this. <clears throat> Just quickly, and we're, we're about to wrap this up. But turn to Romans chapter 5 for just a sec. Actually, we're going to get to, to chapter 6, but, but look in, in chapter 5, the middle of verse 20. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And what an incredible truth that wherever our sin was abounding, man, bam, here comes God's grace to overpower that. What shall we say then? Verse 1 of chapter 6. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Drop down to verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Hey, you see what he's saying? I mean, it's pretty simple. You come and, and you yield. I mean, you died with Christ. You, you were crucified with him. Now just reckon that to be the reality in your life. And you mortify through that. The Spirit of God begins to move in as you yield yourself to Him. And the Word of God comes in as you pour yourself into it. And it's being poured into you. And the Spirit of God overpowers those desires. And your desires become the desires of God. You say, well, what, what's, what's my motivation for all of this? The simple fact that the Lord is your shepherd and he found you in your lost, sinful, helpless, hopeless condition 
and he unchained you. That's our motivation. We, we look at that and we say, now why would I want to go back and get those chains put back all over me again? Yeah, we, we've talked about, you know, so many times how Egypt is a picture of the, the world and, and, and sin in, in the Bible and, and God delivering the, the children of Israel out of Egypt being a picture of, of salvation. And you know what's so wild? God had to keep telling them over and over and over what he told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 12. He said, now, now again, remember the picture being brought out of the bondage of sin here. And he says, Now, beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Duh. I, I mean, come on. I mean, when you're, when you're thinking rationally, here they are in bondage day after day after day, and, and now we're gonna, the Lord's going to bring us out of that the Lord says, now, now listen, once I've done that, don't, don't, don't forget to me. Don't forget me. Once you, you get over there. I mean, you know what, y'all? It, it, it's hard to believe that God would ever have to say that to us. I mean, why would we want to go back into the system that held us in bondage? But you check it out in Numbers chapter 11. And the children of Israel are getting manna every day. And verse 4 of Numbers chapter 11 says that they were lusting and weeping because they said in, in verse 5 of Numbers 11, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. The cucumbers. Oh, this is embarrassing, y'all. The cucumbers and those bad burned melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic but now our soul is dried away there's nothing at all besides this dirty stinking manna I mean it's crazy it's just absolutely crazy and you know why they got to that place because they forgot the Lord that brought them out of bondage and you know what y'all you know why we keep jacking around with these same sinful desires in us the same exact reason we forget the Lord that brought us out of bondage we forget the bondage that we were in we forget what it was like to be sheep with no shepherd David says the Lord is my shepherd and because of that, I can't think of a dirty, stinking thing that I want. And let's not forget. Let's just learn the basic lesson. We were dirty, stinking, rotten sheep, lost, went astray, and scattered. And the Lord became our shepherd. And if, you know what? If you live with the reality of that every day, you know what it's going to do? It's going to drive you to your knees to thank Him that He brought you out of that condition and all of a sudden, sin is going to seem really bleak, and it's going to cause you to yield your members to Him. And you bring those to Him, and you take in the Word of God, and you're being filled with the Word of God, being filled with the Spirit of God. It's dwelling in you richly. And then His desires become your desires. And that's it. 
Let's don't make it. Let's don't make it. So, oh, I'm just going to have to live with these desires all the rest of my life. That's your choice. But I'm just telling you, if you'll just follow the basic principles of this book, he can change our desires. And let's let him do that. For the guest, you're probably thinking, hey, that's pretty cool. This place is, they're wrapping up. We're just getting started. Um, we, uh, we, we took a trip to, to Russia over the last several weeks, and God did some, uh, some incredible stuff. Uh, in us, uh, you know, some folks want to hear what God did through us last week. We showed a video of about 30 minutes. Uh, we were able to hand out uh, 225,000 Bibles in the two weeks that we were there. There were about 100 people that came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Uh, we started a Bible study in Moscow, which in the next several weeks... Um, We'll be sending one of our own men to begin leading that thing. And uh, do pray for Jim, as Jim Stock, as he's trying to get his house in order and get ready to, to go over to the other side of the earth and begin to take that thing. But there was, uh, there was 103 of our men that were, were there. And uh, two of our men are, are there right now, Tim Dunn and Dan Clevenger. And let's continue to remember them. I think they get in Wednesday night. Uh, I talked with Tom Gang just about uh, once a week since he's been gone. Talked with him early this morning, and uh, man, God's just been rocking the Gang family. And uh, they're in the Philippines right now, uh, kind of filling in as John and Sam are here, and they're over there with uh, Sparky and Rita, um, and, and things are, are, are happening there. We've got a, a, a team that's getting ready to go to Australia uh, next month. In fact, Chuck and Sue are going to be leaving uh, this Wednesday, kind of as the forerunner of, of, of that, that team going to Australia. But I, I wish you had the opportunity to just uh, sit and, and listen to, to the men as, uh, as they reflect on what God has done in them. And what we've done is we've asked them to, to share not so much what God did through them, though, you know, God, I think, used all of them. But so that our body can be edified and we can benefit from this thing, we've asked them to share what God has done in them through this, this trip. And uh, yeah, I got in here just a little bit late, not enough time to give you guys uh, the order of the way that this thing is, is going to go. And uh, so, surprise! Uh, but most of you were on the, the docket for last week, and so uh, you, uh, I think you were aware that this was going to be coming. So the order is going to be this. Uh, is Dan Beach in here? Dan probably had to work tonight. Okay. Uh, Dan, we won't have you testify tonight then. Okay. Uh, Dave Douglas. Um, then Ryan Culpepper. Uh, I've got uh, a little vapor lot going right now. Who, who else was on the list last Sunday night that didn't get up? Starts with a D. Oh, Dean Detweiler. There it is. Dean, are you here? Okay. Uh, and then next is going to be Ed Hartzler. 
Okay? So we'll, we'll hear from these three men, and we'll see what kind of time we got. Okay, Dave? For uh, everybody that's here that doesn't know me, I'm Dave Douglas. And uh, I, I thought maybe this was coming, but I wasn't sure. So uh, I tried to take a nap this afternoon. I could not sleep because I get really nervous. But um, it was, it was uh, an incredible two-week time period that God used in my life. And um, Jim Hartrick and Heidi Hartrick, uh, about three years ago, uh, they got married. And uh, they began to pray uh, that through their marriage, uh, someone would come to know the Lord. And, and if just one person would get saved through uh, the gospel being presented, uh, then it would all be well worth it. And uh, I was that one person. So uh, I'm going to take you back to, to the end of the trip to establish the rest of it. Uh, we, we were in Moscow. We had an awesome time, and, and God was really good there. And uh, we're at the airport in Amsterdam, and I'm standing at the bus stop with Jim Hartrick. And I say, you know, Jim, isn't it a trip to think that we're in Amsterdam because you got the gospel out at your wedding? I mean, that's the kind of impact that, that God can have just by sending his word out. So uh, I don't know where Jim's at, but thanks, Jim, for uh, your prayers. Um, and around here, it's, it's amazing that when God starts to work, it, it just is all funneled, and it's all the same. And uh, as Pastor Mark's been talking about uh, denying yourself and um, seeking the things that are above, it, it just blows my mind to think that, that God would take a hundred and some odd men to, uh, to the other side of the world, 5,000 miles, to, to uh, take something that he's been trying to teach us uh, 18 inches. And that's, that's the journey from the intellectual knowledge of, of his truth to knowing it in your heart. And uh, that's, that's kind of what happened to me while, uh, while I was gone. Um, in 1 John 2.15... God says that you're not supposed to love the world, neither the things that are in it. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, it says you're supposed to set your affections on the things that are above and not on things of the earth. And uh, when Jennifer and I got married just last year, um, God provided a, a place for us to live that we prayed about. And uh, some, somewhere between uh, last year and, and this year, uh, the things that God provided for us to glorify Him um, somehow got changed around to uh, to things to use for myself. And um, I'm going I'm to jump around here just a minute because uh, I, I do want to tell you the main thing that, that God uh, worked out in me, He, he showed me something that, that we've been hearing about. You know, before we left, we, we got up and we sang that Soldiers Again song, you know, and we heard all about how we're in a spiritual battle. And uh, God allowed me to see for the very first time something that I knew in my head all along, but I, I didn't understand it in my heart. It wasn't a, a concrete, solidified thing. That uh, the, the God of this world, Satan, he uses so many different things to distract us from, from anything but glorifying God. You know, we, we were on the hua thing, which means anything but no. And you know, Satan, is, he's the master counterfeiter, and he uses the same thing. He, he just wants us to say, Hua, anything but no. Don't, don't glorify God. I'll, I'll give you whatever you want. Just don't do what I want you to do. So as I'm in Moscow, and, I, and I'm seeing these people that are, that are without hope, and, and they're, 
they're hopeless. They're without Christ. There's no joy. There's, there's no passion for living. There's nothing. And I'm, and I'm beginning to see, why is that? Because years ago when they were communists, communists don't believe that there's a God. God was totally removed from their culture. So they, they have no reason to hope. The, the true hope, the true joy is gone from their lives. And back here in the United States, Satan uses a different door of his face to get us to not glorify God, to not do the mission what, that we're here to do. He, he brings relationships. He brings material things. He brings houses and cars and all of this stuff. Anything that he can give you to stop you from glorifying God and doing the mission, he's going to willingly give it to you. But the thing that just tripped me out the most was that the, the thing that he uses in Moscow is completely opposite of what he uses here because it works there. Oppression works in Moscow and in Russia to keep people down, to keep them hopeless. And, and here in the United States, they, Satan will give you a house, he'll give you a car, he'll give you all the money in the world as long as, as, as you're coming to church and you're doing okay, but you're not serving God. And that's what God did in me. The things that he gave me to use for his glory, I've begun to use for myself. And, it, and it's totally against what he gave it to me for. And it's, that's, that's the one thing that, that God really taught me is we're in a spiritual battle and, and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, man. They're, they're spiritual things. And the enemy is going to do whatever he can to, to stop you from doing the mission, to stop me from doing the mission. And, and, I, go, and I go back to, to 1 John 2.15 and Colossians 3 and, and then Matthew 6.24. God says, No man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. God says you can't do it. You might think that, that you're okay doing what you're doing. You know, you're coming to church. You're, you might be getting discipled. But, but are you serving God? You can't serve God and money. And, and that's a promise from the same God who said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's, it's, thanks, Doug. You're there for me, man. It's, it's just... It's just so amazing that, that God uses that word cannot. You, you can't serve money and me, and you cannot get to heaven and be with me without uh, being born again. And those are, those are biblical truths that, that God was just working me on. And, you know, we can have uh, a crush on this world. We can, have, we can have a lust after the things of this world. But God says, you know, if, if you lust after the world, if you love the world, if you're flirting with the world, the love of me is not in you. Because if you know me, you don't want anything to do with this world. And you were, you were blowing my hair back tonight, man, because this is just where I was at. I mean, God was... Yeah, man. Can you tell? He actually removed some of it. <laughs> but the, uh, the deal is, when, when, you really, when I really became uh, steadfast and began to understand... In my heart, what I always knew in my head, God just rocked my world with, with why, why are we here? We're, we're here to fight a battle, and uh, the enemy will do whatever he can to stop you, to stop me from doing that. So I challenge you to, to check yourself out. Why are you doing what you're doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it for him or is it for me? So that's all I've got. This is the first time I've been behind this pulpit, and uh, it's a lot different than what I expected. There's a lot of you guys out there. Um, 
I, I just want to start by saying that uh, I grew up in this church, and so one of the things that I was really intimidated about when I was going on this trip is that um, I had I've just recently graduated from high school, and so I was the youngest person on this trip, and you know I was going with my dad and a lot of guys who were older who were friends with my dad and you know the pastors and guys who were deacons in this church and people who had been my Sunday school teachers and youth counselors and people that I had always been you know they'd always been in a leadership position over me and it was you know I was the kid and they were the adult well now I'm going on a missions trip with them and and we're doing the same thing and I'm on a team with them and I thought you know what they've been in this church longer than me they know more about the Bible than me they've probably given the gospel more times than I have and so you know I was so frightened to go out on the streets and you know I think I was just like you know I'm I'm not as old as these guys and I haven't given the gospel very many times and Pastor Mark had given us an outline that would be a good way to give the gospel to these people and I had looked over it but I hadn't you know hadn't memorized it and you know I think the thing that God wanted to show me on this trip was yeah I was right you know I haven't been in this church long enough and and I haven't given the gospel enough times and I don't know enough about the Bible but the important thing is is that I have a God who is powerful and he transcends age and knowledge and experience you know and um, I just want to tell you a couple of things that God did on this trip just to help teach me that lesson. Um, the first day that we went out to our distribution points, uh, I talked to my squad leader, Daryl Hirschberger. I don't think he's here tonight, but I said, Daryl, um, I'm, I'm pretty nervous about this, and I know there's some older guys on our squad, so I'm just going to hang back a little bit today and you know, just watch what you guys are doing and just try to pick up a few pointers because you know, I'm not real confident with, with giving the gospel to these people, and I'm, I'm pretty nervous about it. And and he just looked at me and laughed and said, "No, you're you're going to go out there and do it." So, <laughs> so I said, "All right, you know." So we get to our point, and and Greg Monticelli and I were out we're out working this corner, passing out Bibles to people as they walk by, and it wasn't real busy. So you know, a few people would walk walk by every minute. So I'm just like letting Greg give him the Bible, and just like every time someone would walk by, I just nod at Greg like. Go ahead, give it to him, you know. So after a while, Greg, Greg looked at me and said, and, you know, there was a sidewalk that, that came way down. You know, we, we could see people walking to where we were coming way ahead of time. So a guy starts coming down the sidewalk. And Greg looks at me and says, see that guy down there? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're giving him the Bible. And I said, oh, great. And I had yet to give someone a Bible. So I'm, I'm watching this guy walk down, and, and I sent up um, what Mark Rose called a flare prayer. I sent it up, and <laughs> I said... <laughs> I said, God, you know what's going on inside of me right now and that, that I don't feel ready to, to, to give this guy a Bible and especially not share the gospel with him. You know, I, I don't know this guy and I don't speak his language and, and I'm not even real confident with what we're doing here. And, you know, I just need you to, to show me that you're with me, you know, because, you know, I know in my head that God's strong. He's there. He can take care of it. But right now inside of me, I, I don't know it. So I'm watching this guy walk down, and he comes, and I grab, a, I grab our translator, and I said, you stand right here, you know? And uh, so he comes, and I hand him the Bible, and I'm feeling all great inside. It's out of my hand. It's in his hand. And so, and, and I said, you know, the, they taught us like three words in Russian. I don't think people ever understood what we were saying, but I gave him the words. And, you know, so he just looks real confused, and then looks at the translator and starts rattling off in Russian. And I'm like, oh, great, he's going to want to talk. And so... <laughs> So our, our translator looks at me and says, he would like to ask you some questions about this book. I said, okay. And, and so I said, could, <laughs> I said, could you ask him 
does he know who Jesus Christ is? And he said, yeah, he knows who he is. And I said, could you ask him, who is Jesus Christ in his life? And, and his response was, I'm Orthodox. And I said, ask him again. Ask him, who, does, does he know who Jesus Christ is? Who does, what does Jesus mean to him? His response was, my mother is Orthodox too. And, <laughs> you know, he, and that was so cool because the outline that Pastor Mark had given us was... Um, you know, we were supposed to take him back to Nicodemus, who was, you know, he thought he was religious, and that's what he was trusting in to get him to heaven. So I got to go through and share with this guy, you know, all through that. And, you know, it's not religion, it's, it's a relationship with God. And he, um, you know, he had so many questions, and it was just like God was just leading me through this conversation. And this guy was asking all the right questions, you know. He, um, <laughs> the one, at the one point, I, I wanted to emphasize, you know, Nicodemus, he prayed every day, and he went to church every week, and he gave us all his money. And this guy said, it, through the translator, he said, I understand, I understand. Nicodemus wasn't a sinner. And I had to say no, and Nicodemus was a sinner. And it was just, God was just, at, you know, giving me the words to say and giving him the questions to ask him. And I ended up talking to the guy for an hour and a half, and, and he got saved. And I was so excited. You know, um, I was so excited. And... You know, I'm, I'm hugging all over my translator and, you know, I was so excited. And it's just like, you know, God was saying, I, I got you here and, and you, you know, it looks scary. And you look like, you know, you got you to gotta step out on this tightrope and it looks like I'm not here, but I am. And I just need you to take one step forward, one step of faith, and then I'm here for you. And it was just throughout the week, things like that kept happening. And, you know, God would be tugging on my heart. To, to go talk to someone or go do something and I'd be like, I don't know God, I, I don't really feel ready for this. He's, you know, but it's just, if you just take that first simple step, he's there to carry you the rest of the way. And when I was in, when, you know, when I was in Russia, I was at a place where whatever God was telling me to do or calling me to do, it was just like, yeah, I'll do it because I know you're there for me. And I guess the thing that I want to bring back the most is that I want I don't want to get back into my comfort zone where I'm afraid to do things. I want to always be in that place where no matter what God's tugging on me to do, it's, my response is yes, and, and I know that he'll carry me all the way through. about five minutes ago I was sitting back here enjoying and looking forward to this uh, <laughs> evening on Russia and uh, but I got to tell you uh, for me whenever the opportunity first came up to uh, go to Russia it wasn't so much as does God want me to go but why wouldn't I go and so I was committed to uh, going from the beginning but as it got closer I kept hearing guys saying man I'm I'm excited about going and I begin to feel bad because I didn't feel excited about going. It was just like, here's something I, I need to do, and I said I'm going to do it, and, and I'll do it. And, uh, you know, I just felt real kind of apprehensive about it because I didn't know if I could do this, uh, this uh, street evangelism. And, uh, and then I uh, was assigned to uh, Dick Bradley's company to go down to uh, Nizhia, Novograd. And uh, it was a great and awesome experience. And... In preparation for it, I uh, spent a lot of time in Acts, and the one verse I just uh, kept clinging to was uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they took marvel, and they took knowledge of them, 
that they had been with Jesus. And, uh, man, that was my verse because I said, you know, these people, we're going to come across as ignorant people of them because we don't speak the language and uh, we're going to stand out. But hopefully they'll know that we've been with Jesus. And uh, every day when we get ready to go out there, I just pray, God, uh, you open the doors and uh, help me to recall the scriptures that I need uh, today. And it was just awesome the way that uh, as the people would ask the questions, you'd be able to turn to it or one of your buddies would help you and you'd be able to find the scripture uh, to speak to the people. And uh, just one instance, uh, there was uh, the church people were also helping us. And there was a little girl there, 13 years old, who uh, <clears throat> was helping pass out Bibles. And on the second day we were passing out Bibles, I found out that she wasn't even a part of the church. She was just a local girl who came by and asked if she could help. And the people said, sure. And uh, her name was Dasha. So I asked her, I said, Dasha, do you know what this book is that you're passing out in the street? And she said, no, I have no idea. I said, well, this is, you know, this is a Bible. Did you ever hear about God's plan for salvation? And no. I said, well, what do you think happens to you when you die? She said, well, my spirit will go into somebody else's body. And uh, it was just awesome the way she was uh, really eager to learn. And through the witness of the guys on my team, uh, she came to know the Lord the last night we were there. And uh, just thinking about the impact that it was going to have on her for eternity's sake uh, was exciting. And uh, so the thing that I think I learned the most of this is that God is able. And he'll be able to give us the equipment that we need and the uh the scriptures that we need to uh, confront every situation and just seeing how God could use us as uh, ignorant and unlearned men in this situation of, of Russia. And I guess as I uh, left Russia, I was uh, marveling at the task that we were able to accomplish when we were over there. But then also I had a sense of, man, this is only the beginning of the, of the work. And there's just a lot of work that needs to be done there. And so I'm thankful that uh, our church is going to be going back. And, uh, you know, I just have to say in closing, I've been on other uh, mission projects with other groups and organizations, and uh, we're really blessed people here to have the leadership that we have because we had clear-cut objectives, uh, the men were prepared, we had plenty of weapons, and uh, it was just an awesome uh, battle. And uh, we are really blessed people to have the leadership that we have here. If you're uh, newer to our church and you've come into this uh, service tonight, you're probably sitting there going, what in the world are these guys doing going to Russia? Don't you know those people hate us over there? And uh, I've got to tell you, that was, a, that was a feeling that I think a lot of people had when they went in there as far as understanding that this is a country that for many years hated the United States of America. And so you may be thinking, well, why in the world would you take 105 men to a country that hates Americans? And really it relates to something that God wrote in his word that uh, relates to every church, but specifically to our church, and that is that we've been given a mission as a church to accomplish. And about uh, three or four years ago, the leadership of First Baptist Church went off on a, a little retreat, and we sat down and we, we came up with what we call our mission statement. It's been a while since we've looked at this. If you've got your uh, mission statement in your Bible there, I want you just to open your Bible and look at this with me. And if you're newer to the church, perhaps you're sitting next to someone that's got one. But this will really explain to you why, in fact, we did what we did in Russia and also why we do what we do here in Tuscarawas County. 
Our mission statement is quite simply is to glorify God by, and there's three basic objectives that we're trying to accomplish in glorifying God. And the first one is we're seeking to reconcile each individual to him through his son. And you see, the place that our mission as a church begins is an understanding that every person that's born into this world is born outside of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the only way that they can come into that relationship with God is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that's evangelism. That's our first objective. It's to reconcile individuals to him through his son. And that's why we went to Russia. We went there to give them the seed of the word of God, which according to 1 Peter chapter 1, I believe, is what is able to bring about a new birth. And then once they're born again, the second objective is that we are to conform them into Christ's image through his word. And really what that is, is that's edification. And although we were only there for a couple of weeks, we've begun the process of building the word of God into the lives of those people. And what is absolutely incredible is that uh, quite possibly from the work that was done by this group of men there in Russia, is that if the Lord delays his coming for maybe a few years, some of those people that were one to Christ, that will be edified through the word of God, those people may turn around and do the third part of our mission, which is then to be perfected to minister God's word to the world. Wouldn't it be absolutely incredible to see people that we won to Christ in Russia end up going to other countries to do the same thing that we're doing right here in New Philadelphia, Ohio? That is absolutely mind-boggling. And you see, that's our mission as a church. We're to, we're to glorify God by doing those three things. And as a church, we've set our hearts to doing that. Like I said, not just in Russia, but also here in the United States. And every time that we get together as a church, we extend an opportunity for people to become a participant in that mission. It begins through what we call personal one-to-one discipleship. And as you look around this room tonight, just, just for the sake of letting maybe some people that are newer to the church see this, if you've been discipled or if you're being discipled, just raise your hand up so people could see that. You can see there's a lot of people that are participating in this mission that God has given to us. And, and you know what, folks? There's a, there's a group of people who have been personally discipled that, uh, according to our mission statement, then once they've been discipled, we've now perfected them to begin ministering God's word to the world. We call it Discipleship One. It's a group of people that, that come through the process of personal discipleship, and then we train them, we train them, we equip them to begin ministering God's word to the world. Now, we don't always send them to Russia. Sometimes we want them to do it right here in Tuscarawas County. And so tonight, what we want to do is we want to commission some folks. We want to bring them before our church. We want to recognize them that they've completed that process of being equipped. So, Mark, if you can just give me a hand here. What we're going to do is we're going to call off the names of uh, our most recent uh, class that graduated from Discipleship One, along with some other folks that maybe weren't here. So as your name's called, you may already have your certificate, but just go ahead and stand in front of our church because we want these people to be presented as missionaries. They're going as missionaries right here into this field that God has given to us. Betsy Bogosi, Betsy Bogosi, Barbara Eberhardt, <clears throat> Nicole Flowers, Andrew Kitchens, Linda Lawson. You guys just uh, stand right here in the front. Save a little space for your discipler. Uh, Lisa Rosenberry. Uh, Yama Sal- Salahi. There we go. Did I get it right? Not bad, huh? It's got a Russian, you know. It's hard to pronounce. 
Uh, Evie Steele. Uh, Chris Ward. Christy Wengard. Glenn Wengard. Uh, Tom Milburn. Kay Coombs. Donna Willis. Joanne Dusenberry. Bill Mathias. And like I said, some of these folks will already have received their certificates. They weren't here when we presented them. Uh, Valerie Sanders. Rick Selhammer and Wanda Selhammer. And then Gerhard Riker. Now these are folks, uh, again, that are uh, people that have been through the process of being personally uh, discipled one-to-one. That is that part of our mission that's talking about conforming them into Christ's image through his word. And these folks have now completed a a course of of study where they've been trained in the goals and the biblical philosophy of discipleship. And I think some of them have already begun to disciple people. Some of them are seeking to win someone to Christ in order to do that. And uh, these folks are now missionaries of First Baptist Church, really, in the strictest sense. Those of you that uh, discipled these folks, why don't you do this? Why don't you come up here and stand next to them? These are the people that invested God's Word in their life. And Steve Pace, why don't you make your way up here to the pulpit? Steve is uh, the guy that uh, we as pastors have asked to do the training of these uh, folks in their discipleship process. And uh, I'm going to ask him to lead us in a, a commissioning prayer for these people. And again, this is, this is very significant. This really is because these folks are now being sent out to the field uh, of Tuscarawas County and, and the counties that are actually surrounding us. So, Steve, why don't you lead these folks in a commissioning prayer and uh, take them to the Lord that way. Oh, Lord. Once again, it's just it's so exciting to me to see people that, that want to do the mission that you've called us to do. Lord, I, I've gotten to know these people here over the last several months and Lord I love them and I believe that they've got a desire to do what you've called us to do I pray that they never forget the mission that you've called us to Lord that you've called us to the ministry of reconciliation that we would be evangelists out there reaching those people that you love and that you died for Lord, we take those same people and we'd be that loving mother and that loving father. And we just, we would nurse them and we would help them grow up, Lord, to know about you. And then to see them turn around, Lord, and go and do the same thing. Lord, to see them equipped to go out and to teach someone else and to win someone else to you. Now, Father, I pray for all of us that we would never forget that that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. And Lord, that we would just, just like in Russia or the Philippines or wherever, Lord, even right here, where we continue to see people that are one to you and that, that they're built up and that will reproduce in someone else, Lord, and they'll become another reproducer. Lord, we ask for your blessing on this because we know that this is your heart and this is your desire. And then we pray. Amen. Well, thank you, guys. You can uh, go back to your seats. I wish you had the 
the chance to just hear the story from each one of these folks. Um, you know, I, just looking down and just looking at the life, I mean, here's, here's Rick and Wanda who have been uh, youth pastors in, in other churches and have come back to this place and said, you know what, we'll submit ourselves. Th- those kind of things just bless my heart, you know. That's, that's leadership material, when people will, who know a few things about the Word of God who will submit themselves. And, uh, and again, just what, what a blessing to see uh, you folks that have just embarked into why you're still on this planet. And man, go for it. And uh, man, when you need encouragement, don't, don't give up. Just go back to your discipler and let them remind you of what this thing is, is all about. And as, as Joe was bringing it, oh, by the way, for those of you that are planning to be baptized, why don't you make your way back at this time? But uh, <clears throat> as Joe was bringing us through our, our mission statement, that last part of perfecting them to take God's word to the world, part of the world is Tuscross County, Stark County, and you know the basic area where where you folks come from to worship in this place. And as Joe mentioned, these are missionaries to to this culture, to this field right now. But uh, we do have uh, some of our folks that do go to other parts of the world, and of course, such is the case with Sam and, and Lori Solzner. And uh, Sam and Lori, this is going to be their, their last service. Uh, Sam, you leave Saturday morning, is it? Uh, Sam and Lori will be going back uh, to Metro Manila Baptist Church, and uh, the gangs are going to be coming home uh, whenever we can get them out of the Philippines. Um, I did talk with, uh, and I don't want to freak family out here, but uh, I did. They had an open ticket, and you know, as they were trying to schedule the thing to to come back, they uh, they said, "Well, you know, we think we might be able to get you out in September." Uh, and but for sure in October um, so um, <laughs> so you never know um, but you know what I, I love is is Valerie their their oldest daughter uh, Valerie's 13 uh, Valerie said well you know what dad I bet we'll get home exactly when God wants us to I like it. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm sure Sam has anything to do with it. it, it it'll be probably next October. Uh, and uh, But it, it do pray for uh, Sam and Lori as, as they go back. Uh, Sam and Lori have been there for a number of years, uh, co-laborers with John and Kathy Honeycutt, who, of course, are, are home on furlough right now. And so... Uh, Sam and, and Lori and Sparky and Rita have been laboring there in Metro Manila Baptist Church. We, we need to probably peel off some area here real soon to just talk about uh, Metro Manila Baptist Church is about to give birth, y'all. I mean, it's, uh, it's just, what, a year old? Is, how, is, two years? Wow, time flies. But uh, the two-year-old mother church there in Metro Manila is getting ready to give birth to World Reach Baptist Church, I believe it is. So that's exciting, and, uh, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, we do pray for Sam and Lori as, as they go back, and we're just so thrilled 
to see what God's been able to do in, in Sam and Lori and, and through Sam and Lori as God has just taught them incredible things. It's just a joy to, to be around them and talk to them about the things of the Lord, man, because they, they're in the Lord's work and the Lord's taught them such, such great things. So uh, they'll be leaving on Saturday and then... As I mentioned just a little bit earlier, Chuck and Sue are going to be leaving on Wednesday uh, as a forerunner to uh, the team that's leaving in, uh, for Australia. And that's, is that two weeks, John? Uh, two weeks for the team in Australia. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's just kind of wild when you just start watching the big picture of what God's pulling together. Um, Kansas City Baptist Temple brought discipleship here, and we began to just do it here. And that's, man, that's what we wanted to do, is just disciple folks here. But the commission was to the world, and God began to open the doors. And before we ever even took it to another church in the States, there was a church in Cebu City, Philippines, that invited us to come. And so we, we took about 35 of our folks that first trip and went to Cebu and met Dr. Gisalva and you know, shared the, the ministry of discipleship with that church. Just struggled for a little while, and it was like about two years after uh, we were there, just God somehow <laughs> turned the lights on for Dr. Gisalva. And I mean, he began to eat, drink, and sleep discipleship. And as he did, one of the guys that they sent out uh, to Australia, a Filipino, he was there and began to share with him about discipleship. And so John got connected with him. And so Chuck and Sue went over last year to get connected with this pastor that's out of Cebu, that's in Australia, who's a Filipino that's ministering in that church. And Chuck and Sue, man, God is just using them in an incredible way to, to do this. And so now we've got a team that's going in there. I wish I could give you a copy of the letter that this pastor sent out his testimony about discipleship. I mean to tell you, it's just incredible. Um, I, I forget how many churches are coming in the Sydney area, but uh, while all of that's happening in that area, another part of Australia is has got 20 churches up there that has heard about what's going on down there and saying, listen, when you got that team down there, could they come up for a period of time? And so part of the team that's going to Australia in two weeks going to do the thing in Sydney and then going to go up to this other area where there's 20 churches that are about to be exposed. And so I'm telling you, it's, it's just a great thing to be a part of the Lord's work in the last days, isn't it? Uh, to, right now, since we went to uh, Cebu, what, what year was that, John? Ninety-three? Uh, we went in ninety-three, and at, at this point, there, throughout the Philippines, there is 130 churches that are right now involved in the ministry of discipleship. I mean, just reproduction. And that's what this thing is, is really all about. The Christian life is all about us individually reproducing, seeing other people come into the family of God in churches that have had the light turned on of discipleship, reproducing in other churches the ministry of discipleship so that we can in these last days seek to to see the world come to Christ and uh, so man let's uh, let's pray for for these folks that are going to be going out this team that's going to be going uh, uh, to
to Australia in just the next couple of weeks and uh, um, for uh, Tom and, and Linda Gang and, and all of the, these folks, Sparky and Rita. In fact, why don't we just take a moment right now and just grab all of this and just ask God to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Oh, Lord, I just marvel when every time that I have the opportunity to talk about the things that you've done in, in recent years and how you've privileged us, as, as Ed was talking about, ignorant and, and unlearned men, and yet you allow us the, the, the privilege of just sharing the simplicity of a relationship with you. And we do thank you that you have allowed us to be put in trust with the gospel. We pray for Sam and Lori as they go back to their field this week. We, we pray that through them 